Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Roasted Games Podcast. I am Kaz Gable. And I am Bill Price. Welcome back. Uh, we're going to jump right into it because we have a lot to talk about today. Um, first of all, of course, is what have we been playing? What have we been up to? We have been playing a exorbitant number of games. And one game uh, a ton. <laughs> yes, one game, one game a lot, which I'm probably going to save. But uh, first I want to talk about uh, we played Welcome 2, which is a... Uh, I think it's technically a roll and write, but it's more of a flip and write because it's a roll and write without dice. Flip and write it is. So (laughs) (laughs) this game plays one to a hundred. Technically, there's really no limit. You could play it with a stadium of people, but it only comes with a hundred sheets. So uh, you'd have to buy more copies. So it's a legacy if you play with a hundred at one time. Right. Um, But it is uh, basically there's um, three kind of stacks of cards and you flip them and uh, you sort of take, you choose one of those three to mark on your sheet. And you can mark things like um, numbering houses and building pools and building parks for your street, uh, fences to sort of separate estates out, uh, all kinds of different things you can do on there. There's a plethora of things. There's a little bit of a learning curve on it, but I think once we were about maybe halfway or so uh it was a lot more um just second nature uh and i think the more you play it uh the more you're just like okay i know exactly what i'm going for um because there's also little like other achievements and things that you can take for that'll come out that are different for every game uh so it it's always different and lively and the uh, couple of times that i have played and with Kaz, mm-hmm. uh, it's been very enjoyable. So I would definitely recommend Welcome to. What did you think? I loved it. Yeah, it's a um, beautiful game. The art design and the graphic design in the game is just very tight. It's very, very well done. Yeah. Its color scheme is um, bright and engaging. It's a French game, I believe. And um, uh, so there's a couple. That's not a detractor by any means, but there's a couple things well, in there. Well, I don't like, play French games. <laughs> as soon as we found out, we just immediately threw it in the garbage. Right. Um, but it. Uh, so it. It feels. Uh, it makes me question: Do they have 1950s era suburbs in France? <laughs> but, I, I. I don't know. It sort of looks very American, but yeah. that's just maybe from an American perspective. Um, I. Uh, my one complaint: You talk about the. Uh, the graphic design, it, it is beautiful. The graphic design is very tight. The art is very well done. Uh, the whole package is very well produced. Um, the color scheme is so colorful and great, and the art is so nice that it actually makes it a little difficult sometimes when you're playing with a pencil Yeah. to mm. have enough visibility to catch everything right away uh, i think with a pen or a marker uh, it's a no-brainer you can see it easily but a pencil is kind of the same i think it can sort of blend in a little bit unless you really bear down on the pencil so um that's really my only complaint and that's like the nitpickiest of all picks to knit nits to pick <laughs> Picking those nits. Yes. Um, yeah, I'd agree nits. with that though, because there it is a it is a very detailed 
sheet that you have and oh, yeah. so it's easy to the lot like when you're coloring a fence in or you're making a fence you're just drawing a line and it is easy to lose track of that yeah you really have to just kind of go back and forth and scribble in like a big thick line yeah or you're circling a pool and, and a bunch of times a bunch of times really yeah. get it dark yeah so. um so it's uh, obsessive compulsive players this is right up your alley you could really Absolutely. really get some scribbling done on this game mm-hmm. but it uh yeah it's very fun it is very tight game and uh as a lot of rolling rights do there's a lot of scoring options available to you but this feels unique in a lot of ways of what the options are and how they come out the way the flip and write is done is very cool where you can kind of um, predict the type of card that's coming out the action it does but you can't predict exactly the value of the card and so that just lets you know okay i've got these potential options coming up next turn but i still might not be able to use them because i might not be able to use that number but i kind of know what might be happening that's really neat yeah, I also thought it was uh, very cool that you and I were going in extremely different directions. I'm not 100% sure that we ever used the same stack the first time we played. Yeah, um, yeah. And we ended up within uh, like three or four points of each other. So yeah, it was I, surprisingly I won, course, close. But yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was super duper close and taking two very opposite and extreme strategies. I went hard after the achievement cards. Um, and you went hard after other stuff and a lot of the stuff you were going for, I ignored and vice versa. So, um, there is not, at least not that I've seen, uh, there doesn't seem to be like one super dominant way to, to always go here, which I think is, it's exceptional in a roll and write because a lot of roll and writes, if you play them too much, you, you, you're like, okay, this path is always the right way to go. It's always gonna get you the most points the probabilities are best um but this one i I really feel genuinely like there you could go any which way you want the sky's the limit and still be very competitive which i think is a marker of a good game yeah and endless or way better for replayability like you said that's the weakness of rolling rights is eventually they get a little stale because you kind of know the rhythms yeah ton of replayability here so uh, let's see. Well, I did one um, that I uh, ticked one off my have yet own but have yet to play list. Nice. I finally got around to playing uh, Pillars of the Earth with my wife. Good one. And yeah, I, uh, I really great. Really happy I finally got it done. It's a very cool theme and a very interesting theme, unique, of course. And the game itself is pretty basically straightforward it's not super complicated but it does a couple things in a unique way one of the main things it does is the turn order uh, mechanism is very interesting and it's a huge part of the strategy and varies turn to turn Um, so i just really was fascinated by how that played out and basically a real quick synopsis of it is you are uh, you have your these master builders in a bag however is playing the game in a two-player game you also have a um a dummy player option so the Players are drawn out in order of player order of the player order. So let's say first person drawn is going to be the first player if they want to pay the money to be the first player. So you have to pay coin to be the first player. So you choose at that moment, I'm going to do that or I'm going to pass and save some money. Then it goes to the next player. They have the same option, but the next one is cheaper. So you can wait till all the players have either gone or passed until it gets to the end. And then it starts over. And any players that have chosen not to take that turn to pay the money, it's their turn again in the same order they were drawn. But now their actions are free. So that's great. However, they have less options to place their guy on so that was really interesting to play around with 
I really liked it, and uh, I felt it was unique. I've never played anything quite like that. That that felt still very unique for a somewhat oldish game. Yeah, agreed. This was, and I've mentioned this every time this game comes up, so bear with me. Um, <laughs> this was my first exposure to worker placement because uh, it's a very straightforward worker placement game. Yeah, and I think that uh, it is an exceptional gateway for worker placement. Yeah, if somebody is not familiar with the concept. Um, before you get them into something really advanced, like, a, I don't know, a caverna or a um, something like that, um, then this is this is a <laughs> really, right into really good... Yeah, you know, hey, <laughs> you let's... You know, the intro game, Tolkien. <laughs> Tolkien, yeah, you know, let's get right into that. I just want to terrorize um, someone before they get into games. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> but the uh, th- this is a great introduction to worker placement as a concept, so... Uh, I, I really, really like it. I think it's it's super fun. And I think it holds up really well for it being does. as old as it is. It's one of the first games that I owned of this type outside of uh, after I was playing Catan and Ticket to Ride. So it was kind of my, um, it definitely in my group of gateway games that got me into uh, the hobby as a whole. So Speaking of the how it has an intro to worker placement, another reason why it's such a good intro is it has two types of worker placement or two rounds of worker placement in the game so in the game you have these like um uh just sort of grunt workers that do basic labor they go to the quarry or the sand pit and they do stuff and so that's one round but then you have your master builder which does more prestigious tasks and so that's where the turn order thing comes in and so it's really interesting you get these two types of worker placement intermingled in the same game but they make complete sense and they have very specific times that they're used um, and flow into each other really, really well. So it's just a fascinating worker placement creation, and it's uh, 2006, and uh, yeah, still holds up quite a bit, quite well. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. And that is uh, Pillars of the Earth, and in its second reprinting, I believe it should still be available. I think so, yeah. Places. It's yeah. not out of print. They did a so. massive reprint a couple years ago. Yep. Uh, okay, what else do we got? Um, all right, well, uh, I played... Um, Century Spice Road, which I uh, played quite a few times. I really enjoy. Um, also kind of a decent game to play with um, kind of newbies. It's not necessarily a gateway game per se, but um, it has some deck building elements, which we're going to talk about today. And uh, it's just fun to get these cubes and convert these cubes and buy these things. And it's uh, it's not super deep or thinky really sometimes it is but um it it is perfectly mathematically balanced uh so no matter what you do you're still kind of getting your your cubes worth um (laughs) but it's uh it was fun we played that um i also played gizmos which uh we've talked about before so no use getting too far into that i played a four-player game and totally won because you know, <laughs> Bill wins. Uh, what, uh, and then I have one more, but I want to talk about your stuff before we jump into. Uh, yeah, I'll just jump one. in on Century Spice Road. I I was playing that as well. I hadn't played that in a long time, and it was nice to kind of jump back into that and kind of refresh, remind myself that how it's a good game. It's just a nice, well done game, and uh, feels feels uh, unique to what it does, and kind of actually inspired me to. Um, seek out and hopefully play the uh the sequels to it or the what do you call it not the sequels but the uh I think they are really sequels uh, the they, modular they, parts yeah. that all form one that they tried to do or yeah, are doing and i think they do uh like different things because i think the third one 
because the second one i think is just like kind of straight up area control yeah um and then maybe a little bit of worker placement um and the third one i don't know what the third yeah one i don't know much about them, but if you're not familiar with what they're trying to do the makers of century spice road were releasing individual games three individual games one after the other in a series not like immediately but there was a time think of like a trilogy of movies except <clears throat> you would be able to play these games individually and they were good games but they were designed also to be all played as one together into one massive game where you would have the each game interlocks with the other one to make a massive game. So I have not done that yet. I'd really like to try it, though. Uh, I'm kind of wondering, though, if Century Spice Road is the strongest of the three, and hopefully it's they're each one's different and unique enough to make them valid as individuals and a larger whole, but I... I hear they say. are. Yeah, I've I, heard I've heard good things, but yeah. I've yet to experience it. And you can also, in addition to the big mega game with all three of them, you can play kind of a big mega game with just the first two, just the second two, the right. first one and the third one, or like a total game that has a totally different name. They called it something else, <laughs> Sands of Time or something. I don't know. Um, that's totally wrong. Whatever or you can play is. the one that for some reason they made with golems that doesn't interact at all. At all, for no apparent <laughs> reason. But that's of, like some weird reskin. I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure why they did that, but you know. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, so good game. Uh, all right, so are we gonna are we gonna get into the game of the week or the game uh, of the, the last couple of weeks? Well, are uh, we ready? Are we ready for it? I have, I yes, yes. I've been playing. Uh, we've been playing, but m- me a little more. Yeah, you much um, more. <laughs> we've been playing Baron Park by Phil Walker Harding. You put angelic angelic music behind right? that, and um, with this one, you are in control of a uh you you have a park and it's a bear park and you're building your bear park from scratch it's it starts out as like just sort of a blank sheet and then uh, blank board and then you are building with uh basically tetris pieces that you're buying and you start off with one and you there's different symbols all over this bear park and when you place the tetris piece on your board you will be potentially covering up certain spots that allow you to buy certain um, types of additional tiles to place later. So including additional park sections. So you can build, uh, expand your one little board into like four boards altogether and uh, build all sorts of stuff with like pandas. And I know pandas, are pandas really... They're bears. Pandas are bears, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think there's koalas, too, even though those aren't technically bears. Uh, people like koalas. And Mr. Walker so, Hardy should know better coming from uh, land down under. Uh, right. So. Um, but the, um, yeah, we were wondering if maybe, like, in Australia, are bear parks, like, a big yeah. thing? <laughs> yeah, what's the influence? Of, what yeah. was the uh, impetus of this game? It's right. Like just huge. So, And it's also weird that they, when they translated it, they didn't just... Like, they didn't bother translating the name. Like, it's still Baron Park. Why not just make it Bear Park? But, um, I guess... It's uh, a mysterious game in many ways. Yeah, it is. But it's it's so much fun. It's exceptionally simple. It's easy to explain. There's a surprising amount of depth to it. And it's really fun and it's really pretty. And I've yeah. played it with 10-year-old. I've played it with, you know, not 10 years old. Uh, everything in between, everybody has enjoyed it. 
I uh, haven't heard anyone say anything bad about it. The scores are usually fairly close. Um, so there's not necessarily like a runaway leader problem. There's, there's just, I have played this now. Uh, I played with Kaz probably three or four times. I think I've played it in total, probably 10 or 11, um, in the last week or so. And it is, uh, I'm really, really enjoying it a lot and, uh, has my Bill's seal of approval. <laughs> yeah. I, it's honey roast it. <laughs> the giant bag of peanuts set right on top. It's uh, yeah. I'm just gonna second all that. That's it's just a very fun game. It feels it just feels really neat. The fact that your player your pieces um, activate purchase of other pieces and also activate other things that happen in the game when you place them. So there is some um, uh, you need sort of a bit of a sense of how uh, what's that spatial reasoning mm-hmm. in how your pieces go down. And so I find myself <laughs> like taking a piece actually itself and just for a second be like does that actually okay that's what that's what i thought but uh it's just really satisfying it's fun to grab things off a board and there are sections of the board that have a lot of things available a lot of the same pieces available next is less but still fair amount and then there are one-offs where they're high value harder to place but definitely worth getting in there and you have quite a bit of variability in the goals you're also trying to reach um you don't have to reach the goals but they are points that are there, and you should probably try to be getting them. Um, points so are good. Points are good. So, yeah, really, really fun game. Yes, and that's Baron Park by Phil Walker Hart. <laughs> Angelic. Cue Angelic Music yeah. once again. Note for editing later, Kaz. Cue Angelic Music. All right. All right. <laughs> so what did we want to get into today? So today we wanted to kind of get into a little bit of a uh, – just jump into a mechanism specifically and talk a little bit about the history of it, the evolution of it, our thoughts on it in general, and um, at the end we'll kind of go over some of the games that we enjoy that incorporate this mechanism in one way or another, and maybe uh, the direction that some games are designers are taking this mechanism. And that mechanism specifically is deck building. Deck building. So deck building, I'm sure if you've gamed at all, you've probably played, ran it, unless you're very severely against it, you've probably ran into any sort of game, some sort of game that incorporates deck building or is itself deck building uh so what deck building is is you basically there's a distinction that some people confuse it with like magic the gathering where you make a deck outside of the game and then you bring it to the game exactly that's That's deck construction and you bring it to the game and play it that is not it deck building is everyone kind of gets the same probably hand or deck of cards and they're usually very weak but they do some basic things and then through a marketplace or other mechanism you build up or replace or add to your deck more powerful cards that let you do more and more specific things and better things and better things and you slowly get this massive powerful deck available to you um the biggest the what i think the consensus is of where this started really is uh, dominion which came out in 2008 gold standard yep that is still a uh, gold standard's many many additions to that game or uh, sequels or uh, replacements of that not replacements but uh, there's like 10 expansions expansions yeah they're just there's so many some of them are standalone uh, most of them are standalone i believe and uh a lot of them you can incorporate all of them you can incorporate but some of them play kind of individually by themselves better than others but uh yeah dominion came out in 2008 and really blew the lid off of this mechanism and after that it was uh adapted and taken by a lot of other designers and tried to in different forms and different ways uh, Dominion is a straight, pure deck-building game. You are 
from the market. You start with a basic set of cards from the marketplace. You are buying cards and then playing cards. And those cards can basically get you better cards for the most part, but also they can attack the other player by limiting the cards that they can get. So it's all about the cards you get back and forth. Um, soon after that, the next year, two games came out. Thunderstone, which took these, this mechanism and it used it to explore a dungeon crawling concept. So very similar, except you as a player are building your deck, and then you're jumping into the dungeon, fighting monsters and earning points, uh, etc. Uh, tied with that, a really interesting game was developed called Arctic Scavengers. Which I own and I enjoy a lot. I, I think Arctic Scavengers is... Uh, I think I enjoy it more than Dominion. Sure. Uh, I, but I think it... It obviously would not exist without Dominion. It is Dominion with some extra stuff. Yeah, although it's really Arctic Scavengers took it in a much more advanced direction. They they did a lot with that mechanism. Um, typically, in a deck builder, there's you have to have some form of currency, something you're spending to purchase cards, and in a lot of them, there is some form of attacking thing a lot of them are are about fighting so you'll have like attack value and then coin value and sometimes on the same card sometimes they're different arctic scavengers created several different types of things that you could consider currency that you could apply to do things within the game and also had player interaction or player uh not direct player versus player but you have to like total the value of your ability to fight basically the premise is it's the end of the world and you're recruiting people to become part of your um vested last vestige of humanity in your own camp <clears throat> and so you find stragglers out there and you find uh, scavengers and you recruit some have to be recruited by i think the is it the hunter that has to be recruited by like medicine packs like he won't come to you unless you have medicine packs some, some come to you because you have like food that. yeah some come to you for other reasons and you can also scavenge around and dig in these scrap piles for treasure you can earn these um uh, i forget what it's called that deck uh, with this, it's a, at the end of the round you get that one card. Do you remember what that deck is called? Oh, it's like um, the, uh, it's like hidden, it's not hidden agenda. It's like uh, I don't or, remember. Anyway, what it did a lot of very interesting things to br- quickly and broadly um, expand the idea of what you could do with this mechanism. Uh, so anyway, a lot came after that. Ascension's probably the next one that was another big blowout soon after that. But after Ascension, it's it's impossible to track because there are so many things that exploded from oh, yeah. from those games and from those few couple of years. Yeah, the uh, the amount of deck building that went into different games and the amount of blah 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 the deck building game that came out during that period um, was really extreme for a little while uh, to the point that I think there was some backlash yeah. for a little while until uh, I think Clank was modern uh, one of the most recent ones that I can think of where people are like oh this is uh it's not just the same typical deck building that we have been getting recycled over and over it's not dominion right it's uh it actually does something new and inventive and has a real game behind it um so i think that that really kind of almost brought in like a a second wave of deck builders, but not straight up deck builders. Yeah, what's really you know, where people really started innovating with the design rather than just putting out right. Dominion clones. <laughs> yeah, Dominion reskinned or Dominion reskinned with one extra thing. Right. Um, yeah, what's really cool about deck building is you can track the evolution because it's a very recent mechanism. That's uh, like I said, two thousand eight is really when it exploded to now, 
and you can see what it's become, where it's being influenced, and there's a lot of games that incorporate deck building as an element because it's a very, very satisfying mechanism. It feels, we were just talking a little bit about this before we started recording, and one of the cool things it does <clears throat> is it lets you feel like you're getting stronger. The feeling that you are getting more stronger and having more agency as a player is extremely, um, it comes out in, in, in really amazing ways in deck building. It feels very satisfying. It, you you get these cards and you do feel weak at the beginning. You're like, ah, I guess I'll do this little thing. But then you get those one cards that does a really good thing or a several things at once. And you play that one card and your efficiency gets better and better and better. And you start to feel like you are growing as a player in a very real way. Yeah, it's um, it's close to... And the reason I really enjoy it is um, as as a, a concept is it feels like an engine builder but you're playing it close to the vest you're you're getting these cards that you're going to be using to do these awesome things and more powerful and more powerful and more powerful things um without uh having the cards like in front of you and accessible all the time so you're building an engine in your hand that you can fire off rather than something that's just occurring over and over like you're getting more and more and more and more powerful um, a deck builder, you can actually even buy, you know, a bunch of really good cards. And if you don't manage your hand correctly or manage your deck correctly, you may not see the combos that you want to be able to see that you would be able to automatically see in just a straight up engine builder. So I think it adds, it takes that engine building aspect, which is something I really, really love in games. And it gives you even more agency and more control and more strategy and it's it's very tactical because of the the way that you can purchase things but it's also very strategic in that you are looking at future combos down the road uh, you're not planning for what you're going to do on the next turn you're tossing this into your discard pile in most cases and you may not see that card for three or four turns but when you do if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing right and you've purchased right and you've you've you know, manipulated your deck, maybe thinned it down if you can, um, then all of a sudden you can do these just awesome things and you see your plan come to fruition. And it's uh, that's as satisfying or more so than really any other mechanism I can think of. So. Yeah, there's a reason why it's it's here to stay <laughs> and has having a bit of a renaissance, like uh, Bill was saying with Clank and other games where it's incorporated into the broader structure of the game because you really, I can't think of a mechanism that is more satisfying and more personal, that ability to engine build, but kind of with a secret, like I've got a secret how I'm doing this kind of, um, is it's insanely satisfying and feels like you have a lot of agency to pursue a variety of strategies and it's kind of on you. It's on you to make it more efficient or be fine with its lack of efficiency if the game allows you to, to slim it down. Yeah, and it's it's everywhere. It's in, like, Concordia has deck building yeah. aspects. <laughs> um, uh, the uh, Great Western Trail, which yep. is a heavy Euro, has deck building in it, but no one would ever say, oh, that's a deck building game. But it it's uh, it's such a neat mechanism because it can be as big or as little as you want it to. It can be a very small part of the game, like Terraforming Mars, uh, or it can be the game, like, you know, Dominion. Uh, but it's also evolved uh, quite a bit, which I think is uh, 
and I, I think it's still got more evolution to go. I, I don't obviously know where that is, or I would just be inventing it and not talking to <laughs> you, know, you about it. But, uh, well, I'd still be talking to you about it. Who am I kidding? Um, but yeah, I, the, the, the things that it's evolved into uh, are really, really neat because it's gone away now from just deck building. Most, most places that, that say, oh, deck building is a mechanism include pool building. Which mm-hmm. could be yeah. dice, it could be bag building, it can be uh, all kinds of different ways that they're taking this concept and and moving it into uh, to other games, which is what our our top five is going to be about today. Yeah. So, um, so <coughs> excuse me. Um, yeah, let's just jump right into that. I think the um, uh, mine is not in any specific order as usual, although I could probably rank this. No, never mind. Why change it? Why change a good thing? Yeah, we don't need to rank it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so mine is going to start um, with a the pretty much an kind of an uncommon thing these days, which is a pretty pure deck builder. You don't see them a lot. You see them incorporate that mechanism incorporated, but this game I think does it well and takes a um, a genre of game, which is word games, and puts it into the. It's basically pretty much follows the Dominion model with a few changes. And that's Paperback by Tim Fowers. Hmm. Uh, I like Paperback a lot. I think it fits a unique... It's a unique fit in um, games in general because there's a lot of word games, but I th- there's a lot of people who shy away from word games for a variety of reasons. This uses deck building, and when it does that, deck building allows it to even the playing field for people who have stronger or not as strong vocabulary or feel more or less comfortable around uh, their word recall and, and use. So it's more about using the words uh, and their abilities than it is about having the biggest word played. And that's really interesting. So it takes the Dominion model and puts it into uh, letters and words, and it does it extremely well. Yes, that is a very cool game, and I like it a lot. So good call on that one. Um my first one that I'm going to talk about is uh, takes deck building and uh, completely evolves it away from cards, uh, but does it in a very exciting way, and that's uh, dice pool building and actual dice building, and that is Kapow, Kapow by yeah. L4 Games and Two Porcupines, I believe, is the co-publisher. Oh. <laughs> um, but Kapow is a... Uh, basically one player versus one player. It's a fighting dice game. And you start off with, um, like, depending on your character, three or four dice and a blank buildable dice that has uh, removable faces and uh, it's just blank. So as you roll the die and play them in certain areas, it allows you to purchase more die and die faces and more buildable die, and pretty soon you're rolling just like handfuls of die. You're like rolling seven or eight regular die, and you know two two big uh, action die that you built with your own custom faces, and uh, it just you. It's really you can see it build up, and it just it's super cool and very satisfying to just be rolling all these dice, and uh, and you can you are controlling which ones you go out and purchase. So it's very much that deck building model, but instead of tossing it into a deck, um, it, you're buying dice. And so I think that's a really neat 
uh, evolution for that mechanic. Um, let's see. All right. Next one for me would be a solo game that uh, I like playing solo games um, a lot. And this one is really, really fun. And it's really quick. This one's called Friday. So Friday is a game where you play Robinson Crusoe's sidekick, and you're basically trying to keep the <laughs> bumbling Crusoe alive um, <laughs> on the island and uh, help him navigate hazards of the island. But it does a really unique... It uses deck building in a unique way. It is pretty much a deck builder, but the way you thin your deck is what makes it very unique and very fun to play. It's a, it's a uh, press your luck basically a game where you start with this really weak deck and some of it's um, actually negative. It's, it's bad. Some of the cards you have are bad because Crusoe is a lazy man who's, who's done <laughs> not much and expects people to, he's an English gentleman who expects people to wait on him hand and foot and he has some flaws. So um, he will have these encounters with these hazards and uh, two of them come up at once and you choose one to do and some of them are kind of hilarious especially at the beginning when he's under you can go in the when he's underpowered you can go to the jungle and fight some wild animals which he has no hope of winning or you can take it easy and swim out to the shipwreck and get some supplies the shipwreck would seem to make sense because it doesn't cost anything to do that it's an automatic success almost um, but the animals, if you go to the animals and you go and fight them and you fail, whatever cards you've drawn to do that action, and it's usually three or four, um, at the end of that action, you will lose life, which is the tracker of the game. However, for each life you've lost, you were able to get rid of a card. So it's the balance of I'm going to lose some life in this experience of going after these animals, which I will realize was a dumb idea. However, I will be more knowledgeable for it. I will realize I shouldn't do that again. And because of that, I will get rid of my flaws. And so it's this really interesting mechanism within the game that makes a lot of sense and is extremely satisfying. And I find Friday a very addictive game. You can buy it on the as a regular game, and they also have a well, very well-done app, which is what I usually play it on. All right. Um, I have not played that myself. Um, so my next one is uh, actually won the Spiel des Jahres last year which was uh, Quacks of Quedlingburg. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a bag-building game, uh, which is another really cool evolution of deck building that we've talked about before. And you are... It's a press-your-luck uh, game where you're drawing ingredients out of a bag to try and build the best potion. And you get to a certain point, and then you stop... And you have a certain number of points based on how far you got to buy additional tokens to put in your bag. So pretty soon you are building this bag up so that when you're getting more and pulling more and more tokens out, the ones you're buying are good and, uh, and the ones that count against you or are negative or make you stop uh, are much more rare. So you're really, it, it feels really cool because um, you can feel your progress. You can go only go up the track maybe, you know, four or five steps the first first potion. But by the time you've gone through there, you know, five, six times and you're towards the end of the game, you're building these gigantic potions because you've bought all these tokens and um, you're scoring a lot of points and you're feeling really good about yourself and it's, uh, you really feel like you've progressed. And I think that's the most important part of a, de of any sort of deck building or pool building is that sense of, I am so much better this round than I was the last round, which was sure. better than I was the round before that. 
and the round before that. So um, that game I thought was was pretty unique in that regard. Um, and that's Quacks of Quedlingburg. A great game if you play it with the correct rules. I have found. Yeah, that that is correct. You have to play right. Uh, <laughs> you can play wrong. You, you, you can, can play wrong. You, you can. Well. <laughs> it's it's not nearly as, you know, fun. Satisfying for sure. <laughs> yeah, I like Quacks a lot, especially when I learned how to play correctly. And uh, that's a real great example of an evolutionary step from the deck building concept and what it does into the bag building. Um, thing uh the bag building mechanism that's kind of becoming more popular today and it's a good thing because it's very satisfying and it fits that theme really well it just feels like you're making these potions and you're like rooting around in your mm-hmm. your uh um, resource bag to to get the uh, the spiders or uh roots or whatever you're yeah. like, scavenged the previous round um all right next in mine is an oldie but still a goodie i think and that is ascension ascension is one of the games that is responsible for progressing deck building farther and farther and farther and what it did to make it put its own stamp on deck building is it created a shifting marketplace so in the early deck builders typically what would happen is you have a marketplace available so everyone kind of knows what they have to purchase to upgrade their decks and the the nice thing is it's uh, the make what makes it unique is that no one's going to be able to get all the cards and that would be a bad idea you want to kind of choose a few cards to kind of prioritize and maybe go after as you make your strategy but what ascension did is it made an active and living marketplace so each turn the marketplace is going to be different because in the marketplace you are either going to buy something or recruit someone to help you or a monster will show up and start edging things out and encroaching upon you or your teammates and you will have to fight it this is a semi co-op game where you are working together however you are also trying to be the one with the most glory at the end of the game so uh, it's communal it's communal in a way but you are doing it for yourself the other thing that does really well is that shifting marketplace falls in line with the story the story is that you are warriors venturing out to rid the land of evil and so when these monsters pop up is a really strong feeling of um what it would what it's kind of seems it would be like as you're journeying through land to land finding recruits to help you fight the the big monster you have these encounters with other monsters and eventually your marketplace if you don't attack them there'll be more and more and more monsters and you will get kind of overwhelmed and you'll have to start fighting them off to rid them uh, from the from the land so more allies can come into play so it just does it really well it's very satisfying it still holds up today and there's a lot of versions of this game many of them are uh, i would stand by there's a couple that i think are weaker than others but they still they still fit a niche if you're interested in this game you can find a, a lot of versions to uh to focus in on yeah when this game first came out the art was oh, so yeah. bad yeah. it looked like notorious for that <laughs> like a 10 year old decided to do a print and play of his homemade D game and <laughs> it was so so bad distractingly bad yeah um fortunately the art has gotten better and the newer versions of ascension uh have have been improved yeah but um I think that hurt this game early on. Uh, it's still I, very popular, yeah. but I, I feel like it could have been like a, on a whole new level sure. had it looked like it was even the least bit professionally done. Right. Yeah. I mean, in a way, it probably helped its notoriety, but 
I agree that there are people who are like, I don't even want to buy this game because it looks terrible. It looked it looked kind of like it was placeholder art. Like they were going to do the second draft of the art for yeah. the finished version because there was even like sketch lines that were unerased. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff that was on there. It was really bad. It was quite. It was something. Really, really bad. But the, the gameplay was good. Uh, my understanding, it was made by a guy who was like a magic world champion or something. Uh, I believe so. I am honestly not. Magic it's something associated with that. Yeah. I can't remember. So. But. Um, um, yeah. They've released, I think, something every year almost. Um, expansion of this for this game. Yeah, it's been very well supported. So that's Ascension, and that's very much a traditional older school um, deck building game. But it yeah. did it did take deck building in a different direction than Dominion. So um, my next one is uh, a game called Grifters, and I really really like it a lot. Um, it's not super popular. Um, it's by, I believe, Indie Boards and Cards. Um, but it, it it has really cool artwork, and it has kind of an, uh, to me, a very interesting take on deck building in that uh, you have these cards in your hand, and uh, you have in front of you a board that's your hideout. So there's night one, night two, night three, and then recovery. And so the first time when you, you have all your cards in your hand and you play a card or a group of cards in night one, and then you take the action, do whatever, maybe you get a, another card from the draw deck or something to put into your hand, um, or you collect money from somebody or you steal money from the coffers or whatever. The next person does the same thing, puts it in night one, comes back to you, that card stays, uh, card or cards stay on your board, go to night two. So now you you play something on night one because it's now open. And so it goes night two, night three, and then to recovery, and then back into your hand. So anything that you play is not going to be back in your hand for four turns. So you have to kind of plan for that because there are group capers that you buy um, that give you points and things. Uh, and extra benefits and bonuses, but they require groups of cards with the same symbol on it. So it's uh, you're putting down sets basically, and but w- anything you put down there, uh, every card has a- an effect, and it has a symbol on it. So you can use it for the symbol in a group, or you can use it for its effect. So when you lay it down, and you know you're not going to have it back for four more turns, that may be a card you really wanted to play the effect for. Or maybe you want to do have it in another group. You can't, you can't have it. So there's a lot of really neat um, decisions that are involved there because you once you play this, you're SOL till it comes back around. Now, it will always come back around to you, which is good. Um, so you're not totally screwed for the whole game. But you have to be very careful if you're looking at different combos you're planning in your head and then all of a sudden you play it in a group and you're like, oh, shit, I was going to use that card. <laughs> and now I can't till it comes all the way back around. So I think that was really neat. I haven't seen that particular uh, mechanism in anything uh, before or since. So that's uh, that's my number three on kind of inventive evolutions of uh, deck building. Grifters. I yeah, I liked Grifters a lot. I um I haven't played it for a long time. I love to play that again sometime soon. It uh, yeah, it felt very it's very unique. It's just a unique setup. 
but it's extremely satisfying and tight. It's a very tight game where it feels like it there's is, not yeah. a lot of there's not really any fluff to it or unnecessary elements to it. It just feels it feels appropriate too. Like you're gathering your team, you're pulling off these uh, these um, heists nice. and stuff like yeah. that, and and you feel like uh, you're you really feel like all right, that heist didn't work as well as I thought. So let's get right. this guy to see how this heist will work better, and and playing with that concept. So it's really satisfying. And there's only like nine or ten different cards, yeah, like different character cards. So you're gonna get multiples. Um, but what they do are they're all extremely useful. There, uh, there aren't any that you're like. I don't want that guy. He's useless. He won't do anything. Yeah. Um, and they all tailor to specific strategies and and everything. And even if you get the guy and you're like, you know what, I'm not going to use that action because it doesn't really vibe with what I'm trying to do here. You can still use it for the symbol. Right. So there are no useless cards in your hand, which I really really like because deck builders in general tend to uh, develop an issue sometimes with crowding your deck with cards that all of a sudden you a can't use anymore Mm -hmm. or b you have to have another card to combo with it and you just never happen to draw them together yeah um and so you almost feel sometimes like there's cards in your hand that are wasted in grifters nothing feels wasted everything has a use and a purpose yeah it's very well designed very well yeah uh, my uh, second to last one is going to be uh, Clink, and specifically Clink in space because I um, uh, it's one I own, and the more one I have experience with. Uh, so Clink takes a lot. It's to me, it's a next evolutionary step from Ascension. It takes what Ascension did well with having an active marketplace, common com, or a constantly changing marketplace, but then it takes that idea and applies it to a board of a board game. It takes it so you use your cards to affect how the game is played on the board game. And the premise of the game is you are ra- space raiders um, who are uh, secretly inc- entering the ship of this big baddie who has a lot of treasures. And you are trying to sneak your way around the ship to get the treasures and then sneak your way back with your haul and get to your escape, sh- uh, the escape shuttle and blast off to safety. So you're all trying to do it, do that. However, there are a lot of distractions and roadblocks on the way and things you have to do before you can get into the treasure part of the ship. And the bad guy knows you're there, but he doesn't know exactly where you are, and he, he'll get angry and angrier as it progresses. But <clears throat> what it does, which is really interesting, is it, A, does a lot, has an amazing sense of humor, and I really appreciate that being a sci-fi nerd. I love the fact that it has tons of references and silly uh, allusions to previous sci-fi tropes. And uh, just in itself has a very good sense of humor. It feels perfectly on theme. And the fact that you can slim down your deck and you should. However, the basic cards you get at the beginning will not stop being useful. Um, because the white, most of them are for movement. Uh, they're either for movement or for purchasing. And um, your movement cards, you are never really able to move super long distances in a turn. You're only going to need a few, two, maybe three maybe four movement in one turn, really, to to do anything. And then you're going to need, of course, to purchase more things. To um, uh, You have set collection in it and, and a bunch of other things that you can interplay with each other. But it just feels very well designed and applied to the theme when you are constantly um, uh, dashing. That's one of the basic cards you have. You dash across the hallway to get into to get out of sight or something. There's two cards that you're going to want to get rid of immediately, which is Stumble, which gives Clank. Basically, you're making noise in the game. But outside of those, I usually keep my basic cards for the whole game, mainly because it's not that long of a game. And the ability to slim cards isn't 
super common. It's not, not everyone's going to be able to do it or not everyone's going to care about doing it um, because the, the basic cards are still pretty useful. So I just like Clank. I think it's a fun game. It takes it and applies the deck building mechanism to moving a piece across a board. And the way that it does that feels extremely strong and satisfying uh, as a, as a next step. All right. Yes. Excellent game. We have definitely talked about it before and uh, it, it, Definitely, I I think is has been responsible for bringing back the whole deck building's okay again, right? Because yeah. uh, there was a lot of burnout on that for a little while. Yeah. Uh, my next one is uh, a straight up deck builder, um, but what it does that I think is uh, a little differently, and that's uh, Marvel Legendary or really any of the Legendary uh, games. They are straight up deck builders, but uh, what I think it does really well, particularly the Marvel one, is it adapts um, deck building to the co-op genre, which you don't see a lot of co-op deck builders typically, or at least you didn't prior to this game. Um, and I think that that is uh, it, it kind of deck building before this was had really been a oh I'm building my deck for me and my things and my strategy and with legendary you're building your deck for the strategy of your whole team mm -hmm. so you can keep an eye on things other people are getting and uh, you know what would what sort of would is my niche in all of this what can I do to sort of uh, round out the team so that we're not all being you know fulfilling the same kind of action every single turn so it gives you some extra things to think about um it adds in the the whole um plot twist thing uh scheme twists and the idea of uh fighting these these bad guys kind of like in, in ascension but it uh i think it does a really neat job of even though it is a straight up standard deck builder, it doesn't feel like Dominion. Mm -hmm, it doesn't yeah. feel like Ascension. It doesn't feel like any of these other games. I feel like they actually make, gave it a uh, its own feel, which anytime a deck builder can do that, uh, props to them because deck builders can be a little samey. Sure, yeah. Sometimes. And, and I don't think this one feels like anything else out there. Yeah, I... Um I've been going back and forth on what to make my final one, and I, uh, I think I'm gonna do. I think I'm gonna choose Aeon's End, and I'll give a quick honorable mention to Dice Masters for the reason that deck builders are really good at making at battling. If you you you'll see deck builders used in games where you build a player that fights something, because of the fact that it's that satisfying progression of I'm more and more powerful and more and more capable of beating these harder and harder guys. Um, except uh, Dice Masters does it on a one v one setting. Uh, but I picked Eon Zen because of the fact, kind of what you mentioned, co-op. And one of the cool, one of the problems with co-op games is the quarterbacking issue. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Eon Zen did with an incorporated deck building as a co-op game where you're fighting, all fighting one giant monster and by association, a lot of smaller monsters that are coming out. You can individually have things that you can do that no one else can tell you how to do them. Um, you can find your own path to a strategy to help your team. It still allows you to be feel very autonomous as a player, but be helping the the broader uh, plan. 
Right, because nobody else knows what's in your hand. Too. Yeah, exactly. Because so you are, it's not like in pandemic where you are the guy who does this. Right. I am the, uh, uh, what do they call logistics expert. I move, yeah. I move people around. <laughs> yeah, so I know every single time you're going to be yeah. moving somebody around. That's what you do. But yeah, if I don't know what's in your hand and what you're really good at and what you're setting yourself up and potentially getting combos to do, uh, yeah, that I think that's awesome and that that is a, a great way that these kind of especially co-op games can can solve that problem yeah it just it feels like a s- perfect solution um the other thing that i think uh, an zen did really well to make itself unique among deck builders um i think there probably other games that might have done this out there but this is my, the first one i ever encountered was <clears throat> typically when you're doing a deck builder once you run out of cards to draw you shuffle your discard pile and then you start drawing again so it's, it's a nice way to randomize whatever you've purchased before and still create a bit of surprise on what you're going to do in each turn. Aeon's End has that to a degree. However, what they do is when you discard cards and you need to flip them over to make them your drop pile, you do not shuffle them. However they are discarded, you flip it over exactly as it is, and then you draw again from that pile. So it adds an extra bit of strategy in how you discard things and how you play things. Each turn, you'll have like five cards approximately to discard, but you choose how they are discarded. And some cards are very much more powerful if you draw them together. So you kind of place them together when you're discarding with the idea of, okay, I hope these come up the same way. I hope the numbers work out um, and try to put them in your favor a little bit. So you still have that variability because it's you're not going to be tracking it perfectly, but you can kind of plan for future turns in a l- bit of a, a way, which works really well with the theme of a developing spellcaster. Yeah, no, that that is a super neat idea. And it's uh, in any time a game can do something fun like that, like uh, how um, the tavern game um, puts uh, you, when you buy a card, it goes on, top of your draw pile oh yeah yeah yeah. so uh but so anytime i think that a deck builder can kind of mix up where that card goes uh and do something original like that i think is is very very cool so yeah very satisfying all right all right is that it um my my final and number one spot Um, all right what do we have drum roll is my favorite game in the world and (laughs) everyone knows exactly uh what this is going to be and that is orleans um, and it is a bag builder, which is, uh, directly derived from deck building. And so what that involves is, um, you can, in this game, you pull, you start off with four, uh, worker tokens, different worker tokens in your bag and you draw them and you play them on your board in order to purchase other worker tokens. And those go in your bag and then so every turn you're drawing out uh, workers and hoping for the right combinations in order to do the things that you want to do. Uh, sometimes you can't do exactly what you want to do because you didn't draw them out. So you, maybe you're doing something different or maybe you're leaving them in the marketplace in hopes that uh, the next time you draw a few fewer, then maybe uh, it'll work the way that you want it to. Uh, you also this has um, this good deeds board, which is basically where you go to kill these tokens. Um, and so you are always looking at, okay, um, I needed to buy these tokens for the effect, but now my bag is flooded with farmers. I don't need <laughs> farmers. So I'm going to 
basically kill all my farmers or at least kill some of them for a benefit and it's it uh kind of adds that whole aspect of how do you manage your bag i've played with people who uh, my son joey he um he never gets rid of any of his tokens he'll anytime he reaches into the bag uh towards the end of the game he's got 30 tokens in there <laughs> um me if i can draw eight i i have nine in my bag i mean right. i i i run a very tight ship and a very thin bag i am constantly weeding people out so i usually know when i pull stuff out of my bag i know exactly what i'm getting um but at the same time sometimes it's a pleasant surprise when you pull out you know a whole bunch of stuff that just happens to work out um some people are afraid of you know missing out hey i don't want to kill all my farmers because what if i need to place a farmer on my next turn and now i've only got one in my whole bag right well if you're drawing eight and you only have nine in your bag or you only have eight in your bag you know what you're getting every time so it's it's different philosophies different strategies um obviously i don't always win or i wouldn't play this game because i mean that's no fun um but uh, i think it's it's really the, the whole bag that's my first exposure to bag building and i think that that was a really cool next step yeah uh they could have done it with cards they could have done it with dice they could have done it a million different ways. Um, but I think this really, really works. It makes it feel very unique. And uh, it's just the perfect mechanism for this game. And I love it so much. It's very satisfying. It is It is cool how bag building has taken over that feel of shuffling your deck and redrawing and being like, ooh, I hope I got the stuff I just bought soon. I ooh, hate, I can't wait. I hate shuffling like eight cards, well, too. That's, like, that's the, the biggest worst. problem of deck building. It's, it's so the, worst. It's re- the sh- constant shuffling is the biggest annoyance. And so throwing it all in a bag and just being like, yeah, whatever, hang out in there, guys. I don't care. I'll just wriggle around and grab a few of you yeah. is very satisfying and, and efficient. It feels really nice. Orleans is that really captures absolutely that feeling of um, – powering up slowly or increasing your efficiency and abilities and but then having that ooh I'm so excited to see what comes out or or I'm depressed that I didn't slim down more and I don't know what's going to happen so I'm going <laughs> to figure out what my strategy is right. after I figure out what I have here. Well, when your bag's super full and you can draw 7 <laughs> and you've got 30 in there then you you don't have a strategy. Yeah. You're just reaching in and you're like, "Okay, what can I do?" Yeah. Which you know sometimes e- works. I mean, yeah. sometimes you're like, "Oh, I didn't really think about that, but this actually might be okay." Yeah. So it's not like there is one absolute dominant strategy there, which I think is very cool. No, not at all. And that lends itself to the strengths of it. Um, yeah, I uh, I really love early ones. I can't wait to see what people do with it. Um, you know, the other, I'm, like I just mentioned, Dice Masters is a similar feel where you're drawing dice to play. And there we're seeing Cracks of Quedlinburg or Leon. There's several other bag builders, I'm sure, that are coming out or out right now that I'm not mentioning. Um but it does feel like a perfect evolutionary step and an exciting and satisfying step from straight up deck building. So that is our broad discussion of deck building, everybody. All right. So uh, if you have any thoughts on deck building or you feel like we missed something, a glaring uh, admission or thing that we were uh, an absence of a game, please let us know. Or if you have a favorite deck builder that you uh, really enjoy playing and that's a go-to uh, let us know about that too because um, there's so many of them out there and everyone's got a different one that they kind of uh, go towards and as their interests direct them Agreed. and to do that you can get a hold of us on uh, twitter and instagram at roasted games one 
You can also get a hold of us on Facebook at Roasted Games. And you can find us on our podcast hosting page of eavesdrop.com. Go to the Roasted Games section, and there is a comments form you can fill out. Or you can get a hold of us at roastedgamesco at gmail.com. So many options to get a hold of us. And I was just thinking about this the other day. We've had a website since like our first episode <laughs> that we literally never tell anyone about. It's so secret. it's uh so yeah, you can you go to uh, roasted.games and so instead of .com, it's just roasted.games and it has actually some uh, images and, and it talks a little about some of the games that we have worked on and are currently working on. So um, sort of a little extra insight into what's going on kind of behind the scenes. So yeah, uh, check it out. Yeah. Give it, give us some traffic uh, to the site that we don't tell anyone about. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> been, it's, it's super secret. I go there almost every day. So, I mean, we have at least the one every day. All right. Thank you guys for listening and we will catch you on the next one. Bye.